Our mission at Crosspoint Baptist Church, we're about helping people find and follow Jesus. We are going to continue in our series through the New Testament book of Acts. And we've been calling this series the action of the church because that's what the book of Acts is about. It's about um, people going out in, in the church and they're telling people about Christ. And then they're discipling those that profess Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So with that, if you brought your Bibles, open to Acts chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 6 through 15 this morning, a sermon I'm calling God's Plan. So we have been walking our way through the book of Acts for some time now. But let me bring you up to speed real quick of where we're at and also where we're going. At the end of Acts chapter 15, we read about how Paul and Barnabas, it was after their first missionary trip, they had this sharp disagreement. Because they're about to take uh, um, John, um, John Mark on another mission trip, and Paul didn't want to because John Mark bailed with him on the first trip. And Barnabas, uh, he was John Mark's cousin. He wanted to take John Mark, and he's like, come on, man, let's give him a second chance. And Paul being all truth and Barnabas being all grace, they had a sharp disagreement, and they split ways. But Paul ends up taking another guy. He, he befriends a guy by the name of Silas. He's his good friend, his ministry partner. And then Barnabas ends up taking John Mark. And these two uh, giants of the faith, they go their separate ways. And what is really a blessing in disguise is that one missionary team becomes two. And this happens so that the gospel advances. But on the first missionary journey was Paul and Barnabas and Luke. And they started off in Antioch. And they make their way to Cyprus and to Sicilia, then to Derby. It was in Derby that, that Paul was stoned and stoned so hard, so long that they thought he was actually dead. But then Paul gets up and he keeps preaching the gospel. And eventually they make their way all the way back to Antioch. And so what we're going to look at today, we're going to look at the start of the second missionary journey. And the starting point is still Antioch. But please recognize, just because a church goes on one mission trip, just because a church sends some group of people to go tell the good news to people that don't know about Jesus, and just because some church reaches some people with the gospel, that doesn't mean that their mission is over. You see, we are to continue to reach people with the gospel until Jesus calls us home. And that is true for a church, and that's also true for us as individuals. It was the church at Antioch that was committed to missions. The church at Antioch is committed to advancing the gospel, committed to reaching people with the good news. And I would like to say thank God for Antioch. It's because of First Baptist Antioch, not the church's real name, but that's what I like to call it. It's because of that church that we are here today. And so Paul and the team, they leave Antioch and they go to Tarsus and to Derby, then to Lystra and to Iconium. And then they get to Antioch and Pisidia, and they're going to bypass all of Asia. That's what we're about to read at in a moment. You see, the team, they wanted to go Bithynia, and we're going to look at this, but the Holy Spirit prevented them. So instead, they're going to make their way to Troas, which eventually is going to lead them to Philippi. Okay? Basically, what they're doing is they're trying to revisit a lot of the churches that they visited on their first mission trip. They're revisiting those churches Really what they're doing is they're strengthening those churches. They're, they want to be a blessing to the believers in those churches. They want to encourage them. They want to disciple them. They want to make sure that those churches are flourishing. They want to make sure that those churches are, are healthy and that they're growing. And they want to make sure that those churches are focusing on the right things. Did you know that there are churches that don't focus on the right things? 
There are all kinds of churches that focus on so many things other than the gospel. And so if we're going to be a healthy church, we must focus on the gospel. Everything we do, all of our programs, our our Bible studies, everything that this church is about is supposed to be centered on the gospel. That there's this great news that God entered humanity and he came and he died for our sins and then rose again on the third day. That is what the church is to be about. But before we get to the second missionary journey, we read about this last week, that Paul connects with this young man by the name of Timothy. Okay? Timothy, he's a believer. His, his mama is Jewish and his daddy is Greek, and so Paul has Timothy circumcised. And what's interesting to us, that Paul is letting us know in the very, very beginning of the verses of Acts chapter 16, that there's some things you just do to contextualize the gospel. You see, he wants to make sure that Timmy is credible to, to, when it comes to the gospel because he's going to be traveling around in these areas and these different regions that are just filled with these, these Jews and these Jewish believers. And so if Timothy was not circumcised, that was going to be a really big deal to those people in this area. And so what they decided to do, hey, let's just go ahead and take care of it. I think Paul's like, hey, Timmy. I know you're a grown man, but this is really going to help your, your ministry. So they went ahead and got the guy circumcised. And I just want to say Christians, Christians complain about church ministry taken away from their life. But anyways, that's a good segue to jump into our text in Acts 16, verse 6. And it says, And they went through the region of Figura and Galatia, having been forbid by the Holy Spirit to speak a word in Asia. But when they had to come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bethania, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Let me highlight one thing for you here real quick. Don't gloss over here that it says that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit not to speak a word in Asia. God essentially said, no, you're not going to go share the gospel with these people yet. See, the mission team, they wanted to go to Bethania, which is the northern part of modern-day Turkey, And Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit did not allow them. Here's my first point for us this morning. Point number one. God sometimes redirects our our plans. You see, this is what God is doing. It's on the second missionary journey. God redirects their plans. It's by God's providence and, and God's sovereignty. God is actually working behind the scenes to direct this team to go where he wants them to go. That's God's business. God is is behind the curtain scene, if you will. He's orchestrating to accomplish His will. And it's always so that the gospel will advance. We need to remember as believers that God often sees what we do not see. And God always knows what we do not know. And that's why believers, we're to walk by faith and not by sight. Our life as believers, it's, it's, a, it's a journey. So we don't see what is immediately ahead of us. But we have to trust God and we have to keep walking forward. You know, early on in my wife's and I's marriage, we knew that God was going to have us to do some, some things that some people might consider kind of radical. And here's the deal. We didn't get all the details. Leaving two, two jobs in the secular world and then selling a home and buying another going through an adoption process with some pretty amazing kids coming to our lives. It was, it was, it was all God's doing and the selling of a home and riding, loading a rider truck and moving all the way to Wyoming, leaving California and getting established here. Here's the deal. God didn't give me the playbook. 
And believe me, there was times where like, man, I really wish I had a playbook to know what's coming next. But then if God did that, that is not faith. That's living by sight. So, so this, this faith life of ours has been one step at a time, at one step after another for the course of 16 years now. And here's the thing. I'm not done yet. Okay? I had no clue back when I said I do all those years ago that this is where God would have us. And I would be a fool to say, well, I'm done. I have an idea where I think God's going to take us, but the truth is I'm rarely right when I think like this. And this is true for me, and this is true for all of you as believers too. I've heard faith defined as this, as you're walking with God, there's this faith curtain that is being revealed to you as you walk forward. That you take a step and then the curtain goes back one step and you take a second step and the curtain is revealed just once and it's one step at a time through the course of a lifetime. It's a beautiful picture of faith. And God wants us to walk and to live by faith. But here's the deal. My walk is not your walk. And your walk is not my walk. But if each and every one of us is obedient to our calling, then that is exactly what God wants for each one of us. So here's the application, I think, for us this morning. Maybe God wants to redirect you. Well, then you have to ask, well, where does God want to redirect me? This is what I'll do. I'll just leave that for you to decide. I would say pray about it, but then what you're to do, you are to walk. Okay? Don't get so caught up in the emotions like, well, what if I take the wrong step? Well, if I go here, but God wanted me to go there, well, then I'm going to ruin the plan of God. Listen, we worship a sovereign God. And the only wrong step we can take is to take no step at all. If we're on the wrong direction, God will redirect our path. I mean, think about this. Here's Paul and Silas and Luke. They had a plan, and they think they're going one way, and then God redirects the plan by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. That's what the text says. But this is, this is something I think we, we do in our head. We plan, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And then we start out on our plan, and then our plan gets re- redirected. Anyone ever been, at, been there? Yeah, that's called life. And it's so easy to get frustrated when this happens. But here's my encouragement. Don't. Don't get frustrated. I can think of dozens of times in my life, I'm thinking, wait a minute, God. I thought this was going to be the plan, but clearly we're now going in a different direction. And God says, yeah, I'm glad you see it that way. And then I have to think to myself, wow, I didn't see that coming. But that, I think that's one way we know when it's God's plan and it's not our plan. When it's something that we never could have conceived of on our own. Because my plan will look something more like me sitting in a lazy chair, eating several meals a day, and on a beach somewhere, and occasionally taking a walk. That would be my plan. Clearly, God's got a better plan. Now, every now and then I check in on him. You sure you don't want to go with my plan? God's like, no, your plan's terrible. Okay. But here's the deal. In Acts chapter 16, we see that God is blowing up the plan. So if you ever get involved in missions, here is the first rule of being involved in missions. Be flexible. There's an old missionary saying that blessed are the flexible for they shall be bent. Because we make a plan. But then the plan turns on a dime. We have to be willing to be bent by God so that we can stay on his plan. And I think Acts chapter 16, I can just picture Paul. He's probably a guy with a map, and he's got a chart, and he's got his compass. He's got an itinerary, and he's thinking, this is where I want to go. 
And I think Paul and I may be kind of similar in this, because when I'm on a trip, I want to get to the final destination as quickly as possible. And hell have no fury than the child whose bladder fills up before the gas tank is emptied. <laughs> but Paul is a man that wants to be on God's plan. Paul knew that, that he was kind of seen as the leader of the pack, but God was the real leader of the pack. So we should all write this down if you're able to take, take notes. There's always a purpose in redirection. Sometimes we feel or we wonder, we're like, God, what are you doing? This is the way we were going, and all of a sudden my plans are are wrecked. Why are you doing this? We ask that very famous question. The famous question is, why? Anyone ever ask that famous question, why, God? If you've been a a Christian more than a month, I've been willing to bet you've asked that question. We ask, why, God? Why would you allow this to happen to me? The answer is because he's redirecting. But there's always purpose in redirection. But sometimes we just get so focused on our plan, we lose sight of his plan. What we do is we often we focus on what we've lost rather than what we're about to gain. And I'm telling you, it's all about God's plan. It's God's hand that is leading this group. It's God's hand that is working behind the scene. It's God that is funneling them to go where he wants them to go. God is saying, go west, young man. Go west to Macedonia. And eventually these guys, they listen to God and they go to Lystra. Then from Lystra to Troas is 400 miles. And so this is telling us this is no cakewalk. Okay, this is not an afternoon stroll in the park. This is no afternoon stroll on the bike path. No, this is hard work. So I hope you see this about the mission. It's not about God's plan. Paul's, but it's not about Paul's plan. It's all about God's plan. And it's doing whatever it takes to reach unbelievers with the gospel. That's what this team should be about. And that's what we should be about. Keep reading. Look in verse 8 of Acts chapter 16. So passing by Misha, they go down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia to help us. And when Paul had seen the, the vision, immediately, notice that word, immediately, we, so, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Here's my second point for us this morning. Point number two, God wants to align us to his plan. You see, God is going to redirect, and then God is going to draw us in. God is attempting to align the team's will to His will, and that is true for us too. He will align our will to His will, that's if we will allow Him. Because sometimes God is trying to redirect our lives, and we don't want to budge, right? We don't want to move. We don't want to be redirected. We're like that stubborn old mule that just sits down and refuses to move. Anybody been there? I know the answer is yes. But God's like, hey, listen. If you, do, if you would just align your eyes to my eyes, if you would align your heart to my heart, if you would align your will to my will, then I can use you in big ways. And so here in this instant, God gives Paul a vision. And the vision was, to, was a call to reach people with the gospel. Because Troas is on the western side of Asia Minor. It's, it's modern-day Turkey, okay? And Macedonia, it's across the Aegean Sea. And the original plan, it was go through Asia to make a trek to Bethania. And God says, no. In fact, God says no two times. 
God forbid them to go by the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, that said no. And now here we're reading how God gives him a vision. And God says, hey, I want you to go to Macedonia. And did you hear the answer that Paul gave? He said yes. He said yes immediately. You see, sometimes in life, God is going to tell us no. But sometimes it's a great thing when God says no. Because God's no can turn into a blessing. But there's sometimes in our life we get so focused on the no that we miss out on the blessing. Did you know that God saying no can sometimes be a blessing? Because some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers, at least according to that great American theologian, Garth Brooks, right? But here's one thing I think that's going on here. I want to I warn, warn you, this part of this message is really my opinion. Okay, this is Pastor John's opinion, because when I get to heaven, there's one question, I, one of the questions I have for God is, why didn't you let the mission team go to, to Asia? Why, why didn't you let him go to, go to Asia? Why did you force him go, to go west? In the grand scheme of history, that's a pretty trivial question, but I think this might be the answer. I think that God has big plans for believers in the west. And I think those big plans might be some 1,900 years later. And here's why I would say that. Because God made some huge promises to Israel. And God's going to use Israel in the, in the last times. And so I think that God wants to use believers in the West to become Israel's protector in the future. And so God's going to need believers to come along that will do this. And so why did God cause the team to go, to, to, uh, to go West? So that we would become a, um, Israel's protector. And it's also my opinion, the minute we stop being Israel's protector, that's when it's done for our country. That's one of the best guesses I have, why God didn't allow Paul to go to, to Asia. But I guess we'll find out when we get to heaven. But here's a question for each one of us. What does God want to do with your life? Or maybe where does God want to take you in this life? Or maybe this question should be like this. Who does God want to use you to be a blessing to somebody else? Because as believers, we need to listen. We need to listen to God's voice. We need to listen to the heartbeat of God. And we need to trust God. And we need to trust God with a different plan. We need to trust God with His, His direction. And this is what we need to do. And then go. Someone has said that God can't steer a parked car. And I think sometimes we get stuck. We get stuck in park. We don't want to put it in gear. We just want to stay where we are. This is where I'm at, and I don't want to go anywhere. But God is moving us. He's directing us to move. Read in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3. The Word of God says, Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Just a few verses later, same chapter of Proverbs, verse 9 says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So here's what we can learn from those two verses. God calls us to commit our work to Him. And we know in the very hearts of, of, of men, as men, we're going to plan, right? We're going to plan, we're going to prep, we're going to, we're going to lay out the maps, we're going to get ready to go to work, and God calls us to do that. But then God says, you move in faith, but I'm going to establish your steps. So that's what living a life of faith looks like. It's we're moving, we're, we're praying, we're serving, we're tithing, we're going, we're open to whatever God would have us do, and ultimately God is guiding us along our way. And if we do this, then we will be used mightily by God. You see, it's good to plan, but it's also good to be flexible. 
It's good to allow God to redirect your plan. So as we're walking with God, He's going to direct the details of our life. And how does God do that? The answer is with active obedience. How does God redirect our steps? The, active, the answer is active obedience. Read in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Literally, the word in Hebrew, to trust, it means to place your full weight on. It's put all your weight on God. It's when you put all your trust and your dependency on God. When you're trusting God with all your heart, the very core of your being, your essence, your volition, the very innermost part of who you are. And and then active obedience is is trusting God. It's refusing to, to lean on your own understanding. That's what active obedience is. Go back, read verse 10 of Acts 16 one more time. It says, When Paul had seen the vision, immediately sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You see, here's what we need to do as believers. We need to stay in tune with the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit, He's our comforter, He's our advocate, He's our counselor, He's our helper, He's our very spirit of truth. You see, when you get saved, when you recognize that you are a sinner and you're separated from God, but then you give your life to to the God-man that came and died for our sins, what happens is you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. It's not that the Holy Spirit is just with you. The Holy Spirit is in you. Okay, And then He empowers us for, for ministry. He enables us to be a bold witness for Jesus Christ. You see, it's the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He lives in you if you're a believer. And here's one thing I just love about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit bears witness to Jesus. Read in John 15, verse 26. It's Jesus that says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. One of the responsibilities, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to bear witness to Jesus, to put a spotlight on Jesus, to direct all people to Jesus. That's what he does. And it's the Holy Spirit that opens the eyes of lost people. Read in John chapter 6, verse 63. Jesus says, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So Jesus says it is the Spirit who gives life. It is the Spirit of God that that removes the scales from from lost people's eyes. Have you ever gone to church for years and years and all of a sudden everything that the pastor is talking about begins to make sense? That's what the, the Holy Spirit is doing. You see, the God of this world, the devil, he's so deceptive, he's so cunning, he's the very father of lies. And so he causes people to be blinded to the beauty of the cross. He causes people to be blinded to to the glory of God, blinded to the truth that's in the Bible. What happens then, the Holy Spirit comes along and he puts that spotlight on Christ. He bears witness to Christ and he draws people to a point of saving faith. So why do we need to stay in tune with the Holy Spirit? Well, the answer is for guidance. Guidance for everyday life. We need guidance, and the Holy Spirit is going to guide us a lot of times to places. You know why the Holy Spirit guides us to places? Because places involve people. 
Did you know that people live in places? I know this wild thought, right? But God takes us to places so that we will share the gospel. And that's what's happening here in the second missionary journey. God is redirecting and God is realigning. The team crosses the Aegean Sea. They go to Macedonia. And this is what's taking place. God is bringing them to a very influential, a very very important Roman colony. And the reason why? So the gospel would be advanced. Here's something that all believers need to know. People are strategically and supernaturally placed in a relation world for the purpose of the gospel. God has determined where you would live at this point in history. He, he, de- he determines your entire relation world, where you're going to work, or maybe where you're going to go to school. He also has determined who your neighbors are. And He has done that so that you would be an impact with the gospel in those people's lives. So He's going to direct and redirect. He's going to realign our work to His work, which is all about the gospel. You know what that means? That means God's on the move. And God is on the move. And if you're a believer, here's what happens. You get to get in on the deal. God wants to use you to impact someone else's life with the gospel. God wants you to come into unbelievers' life and tell them about the great news, how Jesus Christ came and He died for lost people. And that we can be saved through what Jesus Christ did alone on the cross. How we can be granted eternal life through the resurrection that Jesus had. Now what we're seeing here in Acts chapter 16, it's really a trilogy of three stories. And I'm only going to have time to cover the first story here. Lord willing, we're going to cover the second and third story uh, next week. But if you like movies, this is a trilogy. This is like Star Wars, okay? And when I say Star Wars, I mean Star Wars back when Star Wars was good. Okay, yeah, we have Star Wars. They have Empire Strikes Back. We have Return of the Jedi. Well, today we're going to look at the original Star Wars. In the first story, we're going to meet a gal named Lydia, okay? And she's a businesswoman, and here's a spoiler alert. She gets saved. She gets saved, and, and she's going to profess Jesus Christ as her Savior. And we're going to read in a minute how God opens her heart to the gospel. The second story, you've got to come back next week to hear this. We're going to read about a slave girl who's demon-possessed. She's a, a, she's a fortune teller. She has a spirit of divination. What she's doing, she's making a lot of money for someone else. And she's connecting with these demons, and, and, and God is going to free her. And the th- third story, we're going to read about a Philippian jailer. And so again, you've got to come back next week if you want to hear this. But let's go ahead and just jump into the first story, Acts 16, verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Nepolis, and from there to Philippi, which was a leading city in the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We remained there in the city some days. So it helps to know that Philippi is a leading city in the district of Macedonia. It's a, it's a big, giant city. So what that means is that Philippi is a very strategic city. And it's also uncharted territory for the gospel. What Paul would often do, he would go to these big, giant cities that are very strategic. And it's also places where the gospel had never been preached before. And I think Paul wanted to do that because he wants to lay the foundation. He wants to reach people with the gospel in a big city where no one had ever heard or heard the gospel before, where no man had ever preached before. And after there's a group of people that profess Jesus as their Savior and Lord, boom, Paul plants a church. And he does that in Philippi. Remember, it's a very influential and strategic city. 
And it's this way because of commerce. It's about 10 miles northwest of the nearest port. So what happens is guys would bring their, their trade in or whatever they want to sell to, to Philippi, and then it would go out and go to sea. And people in sea would bring their stuff in to Philippi and it would go out to the land. So here's what's really happening. There's business people that blow into Philippi. They hear the gospel in the church, and then they blow back out again. So Philippi is very strategic for the gospel. It is the perfect place to plant a church so the gospel goes out. Let's keep reading. Look what happens in verse 13. It says, And on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we suppose there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and we spoke to a woman who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, her and her, and her whole ha- household as well, she urged us saying, If you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Here's my third point for us this morning. Point number three. God's plan has everything to do with the gospel. So this is what happens. The team's in the city of Philippi. And they walk outside the city gates. And they go to a riverside. This place of prayer. But here's one thing that's interesting to me. Normally when Paul goes to a place, he goes to a synagogue. Well, most likely that means there's no synagogue here. Does that mean this this city is anti-Semitic? Maybe. Or maybe there just isn't any Jewish believers there. Doesn't matter. But anyways, they go to this place of prayer. And they meet this gal, Lydia. She's a foreigner who's living in Macedonia. She's a businesswoman. She's wealthy. She has influence. And what happens to Lydia? She gets saved. We should be thinking, amen, this lady gets saved. And then see, eventually what's going to happen, she's going to go back to Thyatira, and she's going to share the gospel with all the people in her relational world. So she's wealthy, and she's prominent, she owns a business, and she's a seller of purple goods, is what Luke tells us. Well, the color purple is is the color of royalty. It, It signifies rank. And Philippi is part of the Roman Empire. Remember this. Well, if we were to turn to the, the back of our, uh, the book of Philippians, in that part of Philippians, Paul's in prison. It actually happens in a few more chapters in the book of Acts. We're not going to read that today. But if you turn into the book of Philippians, Paul says this while he's in prison. He says, The believers here greet you from prison, and those who are part of Caesar's household. There's believers in Caesar's household. I just wonder, I don't know, could it be through Lydia that the gospel travels to the high officials in Caesar's household? Could Lydia be the link that makes it all happen? But then consider this. The mission team, they were going and they wanted to go to Asia. And God says, no, we want you to go west. And they go west. The mission team eventually gets to Philippi. And a gal named Lydia gets saved. And then could she be the one that takes the, the gospel to Caesar's household? After all, she's a seller of purple gold. She would, have, she would have connections and influence with Caesar's household. Could it be through her testimony? Or maybe Lydia told somebody else the gospel who eventually told Caesar's household. Something to dream about. We don't know for sure. But just know this. When God redirects you, He's redirecting you with a purpose in mind. Maybe, and I'm pretty sure this is, this is true, that God's plans are so much bigger and so much grander than anything that we'd ever imagined. 
But so Lydia, she placed saving faith in Jesus Christ. Then her entire family comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And did you catch what the first thing she did? They all get baptized. Let me say this. If you're a believer and you've never been baptized, that is completely foreign to the New Testament. Because when you get saved from eternity in hell to eternity in heaven with Jesus, there's this desire to go public with your faith. And the first biblical step, it's always seen in baptism. The word baptism is the Greek word baptizo. It's a transliteration. What that just means, we didn't have a word, so we stole their word. And it means to immerse. It means to submerge. That's why we're the Southern Baptist dippers. Okay, To a believer... It means death. What we're doing is we're connecting to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's telling the whole world, this is what Jesus did. He died and he rose again. Baptism is a public profession where where we're saying, I'm with Jesus. Where we're saying, I've crossed over to the other side. Did you know people back then, and actually there's people today in other parts of the world, they risked their lives to get baptized. Many people back then and people today, um, they are abandoned by their families. They're forsaken by those that they love if they're baptized. Because baptism is saying, I've crossed over to the other side. I now belong to Jesus. And it costs people dearly to get baptized. Think about this. What does it cost us to get baptized? I mean, if you're a believer in Wyoming, what can you come up with as an excuse not getting baptized? Well, my hair gets wet. Hmm. Kind of a weak excuse. I mean, think about it. Baptism is the very first step of obedience. I demand that my kids are obedient. Jesus demands that we be obedient, and the first step is baptism. Let's get back to the story of Lydia. Luke tells us that Lydia is a worshiper of God. And here's what I love about this passage. Did you read it? Who opened Lydia's heart? The Bible says God opened her heart. That if anyone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, it's going to be because God opens their hearts. But did you see how God did it? God used believers to come into Lydia's life and share this life-transforming information of the gospel. You see, it's God that opens the heart of people. It's God that opens people's hearts that they are saved by grace through faith. It's God's job to bring about this inner transformation, this spiritual transformation. Only God can do that. But here's the thing. We get to get out on the deal. Okay? God uses our believers a lot of time to cause a spiritual transformation. So this is what we need to do. Trust God. Be faithful to God. And let God move in your life so that your life can be salt and life to somebody else. So that your life becomes a blessing to somebody that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. See, it says that that God opened her heart. But listen, Paul was teaching and God's doing the saving. Paul's being used and God is doing this inner transformation. Paul was teaching and God is bringing about this new birth, this new creation, that God would take a pagan worshiper like Lydia and change her into a believer, right? And so Luke tells us that Lydia gets baptized and then she invites this mission team to stay with her house. In her house, and I think it was probably a pretty nice house, right? And Luke adds on this little phrase at the end. He says, and she prevailed upon us. Now you're thinking, what's that mean, she prevailed upon us? Well, the word prevailed in the Greek, it means to compel by force. I think this is what's going on. Lydia's the type of gal that won't take no for an answer. 
I think Lydia's like, hey, I just got saved, and check this out. You're coming to my house, and I'm going to feed you really well, and you're going to sleep in a nice bed, and I don't care if you think you can say yeah, no. You're about to say yes. Anybody know a gal like Lydia? I think this very long, huge, rough mission trip became not so bad after Lydia got involved. So, well, God used Paul to reach a gal named Lydia. And think about it. Paul would have never shared the gospel with Lydia had God not turned the team to go in a different direction. The mission team said they wanted to go east, and God said, nope, you're about to go west. They go west, Lydia gets saved, and then a lot of people end up getting saved. You know why? Because they planted a church in Philippi. Also consider this. This is interesting. The church at Philippi, if you don't know this, is the only church to financially support Paul in his missionary endeavors. I have to wonder, I have to believe, I bet Lydia was one of the people writing the check to fund Paul's missionary team. I, there's, there's these people that are willing to go and tell this great news about a great God, how he came to save us. And there's people like Lydia that's willing to fund that message. Did you know that God still works this way today? That he uses people to share the, go- the gospel with people that don't know. And so if you don't know this, I finish the sermon every single Sunday to share the gospel. And it, it occurred to me, I was thinking about this, this this week, that I finish this sermon the same way each and every week. And maybe you're thinking, why do you do that, Pastor John? Well, one reason is because repetition is the mother of all learning. And if I say this each and every week, over and over again, what's going to happen? You're going to be out in your relational world. You're going to find somebody that doesn't know Jesus as your Savior. And you're just going to be able to say it yourself. You're going to come into these situations and, hey, I want to share the gospel. And you're like, what does, what does that crazy preacher guy say at the end of every service? He says, you know what? You were made by God. And God desperately loves you, but every single one of us has sinned against God. We've done things in action and deed and thought that is called sin, and that actually separates us from God. And He's a holy God and can't be around sin. And that means we're all destined for hell, but God didn't want that. But yet, while we're still sinners, Jesus Christ came and He died for us. We all have a sin debt because of the things we've done and things we should have done but didn't do. And we can't repay that debt. That's why God came and He died for what we have done. The reason for Jesus' coming, it was a rescue mission. He came to save sinners. That's you and me. He lived this perfect life and went to the cross. And on the cross, the very wrath of God was poured onto Him. Not because of what He did, but because of what you and I have done. And the Bible has this beautiful promise that whoever calls in the name of the Lord, they will be saved. We're saved by His grace, that God gives us our, His grace. It's not something that we can ever achieve. It's something we receive through faith. We place saving faith in Jesus Christ. We say, this is what the God of the universe did. He came and He died for me. And if we call on Him, we will be saved. If you've never called on Jesus Christ to save you, I beg you to do that right now. To say a prayer, something along the lines of this. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've, all done the, I've done the things I shouldn't do, and you call that sin, and because of that, I am separated from you. But yet you went to, the, to literally to hell and back for me. I want to place my faith, my full weight in what you have done. Save me from my sins. I give you my life. I say this in the holy, precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.